I'm Oscar Rios from Golden Goblin Press, and you're listening to Legends of Tabletop Podcast. Hey everybody, this is John. And this is Vince. And you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Creating legends one die at a time. Good evening, everybody. This is episode 88 of the Legends of Tabletop podcast. Tonight we have a GM's roundtable for you fine folks. Uh, We've assembled a a stellar cast here. So we'll uh, kick things off here with Jesse. So go ahead, Jesse. I am Jesse of the Dragon Fisters podcast. Uh, I've been GMing for probably about a decade, uh, both at the table and online and with groups as small as three and as big as eight people. Never do that, by the way. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I'm Neil. Uh, I am the host of the Two Black Eyes podcast and roaster owner of Birds of a Feather Coffee Company, in case you hear those feathered throughout the random podcasts on the Legends of Tabletop network. And I run two games currently, one of them significantly less frequently, but Rogue Trader. Uh, and then Fear Itself has had a pretty pretty fair regular number of uh, episodes. And I've been yeah GMing for, I don't know, I was on the Nerdbound podcast for three years running that game. And, probably 10 other systems testing them out. So uh, yeah, I like to mix it up. Hi, I'm Oscar Rios. I am a author, editor, publisher, uh, president of Golden Goblin Press. I have been writing and running games for over 20 years. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm old. Well, I'm old and I've been running this game since I was 13. So well, there not this game, but I've been running games uh, since I was 13. So, I am Vince. I'm the other part, part of Legends of Tabletop. I got my start with the D&D Basic Red Box set, and I've been DMing and running games since 1983. He's another old bastard. I'm also, I am also another old fuck. A- 83 was a damn good year for starting to play D&D. Yeah, it was, that, that was that was the dawn of Red Box Basic. Yeah, exactly. a lot of us, a lot of us started that year. Uh, we've had nerd boners ever since. Still, mm-hmm. still got the wax the wax pencil dice. Oh yeah, yep. And neither, neither, none of us, uh, we're not wearing pants. So, <laughs> bear in mind as we watch this. And uh, of course, this is John. Uh, I'm the uh, the newbie DM as far as this group is concerned. Uh, I ran games for I don't know, maybe about four or five years, both Star Wars and D and D, mostly Fourth Edition. Actually, all Fourth Edition. Um, well, I enjoyed it. <laughs> so uh, that's what. Yeah, I'm, I'm the new kid on the block here. So I, I guess we'll start since since Neil brought it up. I am actually enjoying a delicious cup of Birds of a Feather coffee right now. It's the uh, wonderful uh, Night Owl blend, dark roast. It's a uh, very very tasty. 
Uh, I'm actually getting low, and I'm going to need to order some soon, just so you know, Neil. Awesome. I know it'll come fresh when I order, so. You get a bulk discount? Uh, I get free shipping. Oh, okay. And so will you if you order now. <laughs> there you go. There's yeah, no link. Right. I'm pointing, but there's no link. So yeah, there's no link. There's no minimum. Okay. So, yeah. Order, order it up. Doesn't cost you any different if you order now, it up. where where can where where does this delicious coffee originate, and where do you ship to? Are there any restrictions? Uh, it originates from my roaster in a commercial kitchen space in Tampa, Florida. Okay. But the current Night Owl blend is a blend from Colombia, Rwanda, and Guatemala. The Night Owl or the Morning Lark Light Roast is same Colombia and Rwanda, and then a Tanzanian Keyberry, which we also have the Rwanda as a single origin now on the website. It is going fast. People are loving that. Um, there is no restrictions in the U.S. I can use the U.S. Postal Service to get anywhere in the U.S. Continental U.S. Anyway, U.S. including Hawaii and Alaska, and <laughs> and those guys on Guam, and probably Guam and Puerto Rico. I've not tried, but if you can get the address accurately, I probably can do it. Um, but I have shipped to Alaska, so I actually have done that. I have a friend up there, so that is possible. You and I are going to need to talk. <laughs> so yeah, it's always fresh roasted when you order online. It pretty much gets roasted the day before uh, it gets shipped out, so it's as fresh as you can get it. Nice. Be oh, links nice. in the show notes. That's right. Neil, just, just to help you out, I'm going to find a random address in Puerto Rico and order a bag and have you ship it there. <laughs> <laughs> just surprise to somebody? That'd be pretty sweet for them. Right. That would be pretty cool. All right, well, that's not why everybody came here. So we're going to be talking about yeah, GNN tonight. I was about to hang up. I'm like, ooh. Oh, well, I mean, if you don't want to stay. Um, and that's why you do the plugs at the end of the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we got everybody captive. They're still waiting, breathless with anticipation for all the uh, the good information that we're going to provide. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. I dug Ben's in it. I do no, plugs up top. No, no pressure on us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little do they right. know the bird's eye interview. The bird's eye intro was the best part of the whole show. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, so uh, let's let's start uh, with with like I guess one of the basic questions here. Do you prefer to homebrew or would you prefer to run a module? What's the the feeling here? And, and whoever wants to jump up first, um, I like both, but it also depends on time constraints and if I'm feeling lazy. If I'm not feeling lazy and I have some time, then I will devote more attention and focus to a homebrew, or at least taking a, an outline from the module and making it my own. But I've always been a fan of, fan of modules as a, as a jumping off point, sort of a springboard. So that's my I'm, sense. I'm probably the, I'm like the, I'm like the opposite. I I'm, hate modules. I hate modules? Yeah. Fuck modules. <laughs> like I tried them for I tried them early on and I realized very quickly that if I'm using a module I'm too reliant on like it railroads it too much for me even where I'm like if the players want to do something and then it's like well okay well now they're going to this place oh god let me flip to this page and it just slows me down too much so I'd rather just like get a general outline and then roll with it I'm basically a fan of my stories, I have some general concept of some stuff that'll happen. 
but most of it's run off the insecurities and delusional rantings of my players. So yeah. as they're like, oh my god, this is probably what's happening, I'm like, okay, that is what's happening. If you yeah, said yeah. so. I'm sort of doing it in the campaign I'm running with John now. It's sort of uh, playing off the characters, hopes, fears, and dreams. So I can relate to that. Well, I have to say that I do enjoy running my own stuff. Um, uh, I, I always love, you know, writing it, thinking I can't wait to see how the players react to this scene or that scene or where they're going to go or how they're going to solve this. But that being said, to learn how to write a good scenario, you've got to read and run a lot of good scenarios just to kind of figure out what you're doing. So um, it really depends on how long and how much experience you have. Uh, you know, if you're really still learning how to put a scenario together, you know, run modules, run modules by a whole lot of different authors, learn what styles and formats you're most comfortable with, what themes you really like, and then start writing your own. So it, it's, it's kind of an evolution. So I, I don't think it's one good answer. I mean, even now I write and run my stuff all the time, but I also edit. So every once in a while, someone will send me this scenario and I either have to test it or I read it and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot wait to run this. I mean, this is brilliant. Um, so it's a mix. If, if the material is just incredibly compelling, I, I can't wait to run it, whether I wrote it or not. Sure. Well, I, I yeah. you know, for me, oh, no, go, uh, go ahead, Jesse. All right. Um, so I originally started out and still run homebrew. Uh, but like you said, Oscar, I really wish that I started out running modules because they are the perfect place to learn how to write your own stuff. I've, I've been doing this for, I've been writing my own campaigns for 10 years now. And I feel like just now I'm learning how to, actually compose a good storyline and a good campaign and actually make everything matter, you know, instead of just having wandering quests here and there that don't really tie together all that well. And every time I'm on Reddit or some type of forum and somebody asks, you know, Oh, should I, should I start to homebrew or, you know, is that easier or should I try to run a module? And every time I'm like, run a module. If you're doing fifth edition, do the starter set. Because it's the perfect introduction to how to how a story is composed and how to run a game, and you don't have to worry about everything else. You don't have to worry about creating the story on the fly when everybody goes off the rails. Well, I feel like um, you know playing and and everybody who's here, I've played in some game or another or campaign. Um, I, I feel like Jesse, you're a lot like Neil insofar as you know you've got a basic outline and and maybe more than a basic outline. I mean, you've got a calendar with holidays and and a world like your your world building is phenomenal. Um, but I think still that there's like, Hey, we're going to go do this thing. And you're like, okay, we'll go do that thing. And, you know, eventually we'll sort of, you know, come back around to, to story, yeah. um, you know, may not be written, uh, or, or written at all. I mean, more as like general notes, like Oscar's talking about writing, you know, like specific, you know, scenario with these NPCs and, and all this information where I think you guys are a little bit more loosey goosey and, and Neil or, uh, and Vince too as well. 
because um, the other game, you know, we ran a couple of fourth edition modules, but then the last for a while now, we've been doing mostly sandbox stuff. Correct. So I, for I mean, me, I good to have. I think you could always use a mod. I think start. It, Jesse made a good point. If you're starting out, I think it's good to start with a module. That's what I started with uh, for D and D, and I think it went fine. It's fine, but after you kind of get used to it. I'm much more comfortable developing things on the fly because like there's stuff I'm never going to think of that the players think of that I'm like, Oh shit, that's mm -hmm. a great idea. Or like, Oh, what if that person came back or like, Oh, what if that is actually? And then I feel like it kind of gets everyone involved a lot as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think starting out, it's definitely helpful. Um, and then improvise heavily if you are using one in your, experienced i think you can mm. still improvise a lot oh yeah no so i, I did the exact opposite because i listened to, like tons of podcasts and played some games and whatever so my first game was like okay i'm just gonna homebrew a thing and you know we started i think with uh with star wars and you know kind of loosely based things off of here and there but essentially just went to the player and was like you know, what do you guys want to do? What kind of a story do you guys want to be a part of? Do we want to follow canon? Do we want to throw canon out, you know, and, and involve, you know, the players as much as possible in that sort of a scenario. Um, when I was running D&D, &D, the last uh, campaign that I was running went for, I don't know, a couple of years, I guess, um, started with just like, you know, backstory of, you know, how the world set up and kind of where things got to at that point it wasn't like scenario specific it was more like you know like kind of like what jesse does like okay here's the world and i have some ideas for some things that i want you to do or you could potentially do and this is sort of the general story outline of kind of where i want the campaign to go in the long run um and then just sort of meandered through with you know what players wanted to do to to the point where the campaign uh, wrapped up unfortunately due to time constraints uh they had a baby owl bear as a as a companion before they reached the next town that they were going to so that remained unresolved but humorous um so we just kind of you know took things where they were going to go and just you know let all the chips fall where they may and you know you are able to kind of have your cake and eat it too sometimes uh what i've done in the past and this is really good for the lazy dms out there is if you you can create your own homebrew world um but i've gone back and taken like old ad and d modules and just cut and paste them into my world you know i the the beginning of my um of my campaign forever ago that the podcast started out with um is an old i think it's like x5 or something um an old D D that i basically just took it and i said okay well you know I, i'll rename the cities and the towns and the areas and basically this is this is it and i just took that and you know they went off a little bit but it was easy enough because you know, I'm like, all right, well, I guess they're over here now. <laughs> and you, so you can do less work for yourself by using the module, but at the same time, you don't necessarily have to know the thing by heart because you're still just kind of making it up on the fly as you go. Mm -hmm. I, I think for me now, if I was going to run something just because of time constraints, I would probably run a module. And then like Neil said, just 
edit as necessary. If the players wanted to do, you know, do something different, you know, you can sort of react to that on the fly. But if I was going to start a new <coughs> campaign, uh, I, w- I would definitely go module just, just for prep time alone um, and, and writing things and, you know, stat blocks and, you know, putting together encounters and things like that. It's just, there's not enough time in the day to get any of that done. Yeah. For me anyway. Yeah. I haven't run like D and D now for uh, God knows how, like four years or something. I now play in a D and D campaign, but I forget about like matching CR levels and like balancing encounters because I don't run anything anymore that uses that. <laughs> right. It's more like, uh, fuck it. I don't know. I'm going to throw this monster in and there's like a monster or like, uh, look, here's just rando human. They're a bad guy. Like I don't need <laughs> stat block for yourself. And rogue trader is try and throw as much as you can at them and hope they don't all die because if they don't all die, they destroy everything immediately. So it's like, and you have a ship full of people anyway. Yeah. You can always trade them out. But yeah, I, I feel like when you're doing some of that stuff, yeah, the prep, the modules make, if nothing else, you know, pull the encounters, pull, like, I, I think the idea of pulling names, right? Like if someone's like, Oh, it's the blacksmith's name. And if there's a blacksmith in the module, it's like, Oh, it's this guy. And you don't have to like furiously make notes as you go. So that's helpful. Okay. Um, Kind of segue here. Um, since I've played in all of your campaigns, uh, you know, how do you guys feel as GMs who have the opportunity to play? Like, how is that different than running? Do you enjoy it? Not enjoy it? Um, is it hard to sit as a player and watch someone else GM? You're like, no, I would have done this or I would have done that. Um, I I don't get to play often, but when I do, I completely turn off my my gm kind of writer keeper it's just i just completely immerse myself in that game that character that moment and i just enjoy the game um if you know i part of me wants to be sometimes critical of it you know if it like you know backseat driving oh i would have done this or they're missing this opportunity but if the material is is decent i you know unless it's like particularly like heinously bad i just you know i just geek out and enjoy it um you know i mean it's like pizza even when it's the kind of bad it's still pretty good (laughs) so um if you're if you're around a good if you're at a table with people you enjoy being with um you know good players will turn a mediocre game into a great game you know so really it's just the the experience of the people you're with but I, yeah, I'm. I can turn it off and just enjoy it as a player. I envy you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you I guess tell I, do, I do. Yeah, you can tell the story. Tell the story, Jesse. Oh, yeah. Well, no, just I'm. I find that I yeah, am. Campaign was set anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not the whole time. I will upset. I, I will upset many people if I do that. Um, no, I am uh, I am at times the best and at times the worst player because if I'm at the table, you know, I I try to be engaged 100% and I am in the character and in the moment and I'm paying attention to the DM constantly and trying to interact with them and pull everybody else in and I try to be very narrative 
with my with my gameplay uh but at the same time i want to be very i, I want to be helpful and if i see the dm make a quote-unquote mistake even though i know it's hard to do that because it's all subjective um or if like i see players screwing off or anybody doing that i want to speak up and help but i know that's just putting a block in between him and the rest of the table or her so i'm like wedging myself in between the dm and the table and that is possibly the worst thing that you could do as a player especially to a newer gm as well right exactly you're not letting them get on their feet Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i get that i guess i do some of that but that's because there's a lot of screwing off at the table in my current game and so there are times where like i'm Uh the guy who like this is my challenge as a player i love playing and i think for some reason i have to be a player to continually be able to run continuously as well said continuous Mm -hmm. twice but like if i'm playing a game and running a game or two i feel like playing refreshes me somehow like i don't Mm -hmm. like i'm not always just like in charge of everything but i found it's much harder for me to make strong choices as a player because i'm considering one it's not there's a temporal factor right you're that player you're theoretically that character for a long time versus as a gm i can just throw whatever fucking wacky shit out there i want you may never see that character ever again right right? i'm never never gonna see hobgoblin number 87 yeah so hobgoblin number 87 has a list and is like you know, acting like an idiot. That's it. You're probably murdering him. And then he never shows up again. But like, as a, as a player character, it's hard for me to do that. So I feel like I have less, uh, I guess, strong character choices. Also because I'm constantly trying to mitigate, like, if we have other characters or other players that do weird shit, like, I'm like, well, I don't want to have a weird thing because that's going to distract us more. So... I'll be like the straight laced mercenary guy or whatever, but it's less fun. Cause I don't like anytime I try to do weird shit, they're always like, that's weird. Why would you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of fine in the character. Like watch any television show. The characters are never the same in season six as they were in season one. You always develop them. Mm-hmm. Now, do you guys ever find yourselves kind of reeling back as a, when you find yourself as a player? Cause I sometimes when I'm at, you know, um, if you're the DM or the GM or the storyteller or whatever, you're the head of the table. You're the main focus a lot of the times. And so if I'm a player, I I want to create a crazy cool character that will be memorable. But at the same time, I don't, I feel like I can't do that all the time because I don't want to be the center of attention as a player. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I do that a hundred percent. Like, I, I don't mean, wanna, I don't want to overshadow the, the GM either. Like I don't want to be the guy who's always like, this is what right. we're doing next, guys. I'm in charge of this party. And so I, I Or you, you know, you control the whole world when you're at the table, so you don't want to then be the leader of the party yeah. and be like, This is what we're doing, because you yeah. do that constantly. <laughs> I would have to say I'm absolutely the opposite. When I'm running mm-hmm. uh when I'm running a game, I don't feel like I'm in control of anything. I'm completely reacting to what the group is doing. 
Um, it's not my narrative. Mm. It's not my story. I know what the plot is. I know what's out there, but it's up for to the players. It's up to the characters to unfold that story, to choose their fate, you know, however it's going to go. And oh, I just yeah. react to it. So for me, it's kind of like, okay, I'm the world and you're the focus. So I don't feel like I'm the star of the show when I'm, when I'm keeping, and on the other hand, when I finally get to play, I'm going to be the hammiest, most <laughs> annoying son of a bitch at that table because I don't get to play that often. And I'm really – I'm the guy who plays bard um, <laughs> all, 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 all the time. Fucking and, you know, bards. Like, half, like half elf bard who oh, breaks into all, all the goddamn time. And then everybody <laughs> says, hey, are you going to – are you going to uh, are you going to take that that subclass where you can infuse like a bard archer and infuse your magic and arrows? I'm like, no. If I've drawn my weapons, I've already failed. Um, you know, my role is to find a peaceful way to solve most conflicts through song and understanding. And they're like, who the what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like. Playing my character, having a good time. I don't get out much. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I can drawing I, with the string is my loot. Yeah, yeah, pretty much I can be that dick. But when I when I'm behind the screen, the players are the focus of the table. But God forbid I'm on the other side of that screen and I get to be a player. It's hello Frisco. I'm having a good time. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take over the group, but I'm going to play my character and have a lot of fun doing it. I, I think this group should accept that as a challenge, and we should be running something for Oscar to play in. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, all right. What about you, Vince? I don't. You don't get to play all that very much, do you? I don't. I don't know. As I get older, I don't give a shit anymore. Um, nah, I like playing. <laughs> um, but we don't. We don't have that much time, so I'd rather. I'd rather be behind the DM screen. That's mm. that's uh, that's where I got my start. I mean, when I got the the red box set. I, there was no internet. I wasn't old enough to drive. I couldn't get to you know bulletin boards. Uh, there wasn't even anyone at school who was playing. So I felt like I was well. I was really in uncharted waters. So I had to. I was the guy. I had to be the DM. So with my brother and some friends from the neighborhood, we you know created a group, and it just continued on for there for a better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I have fond memories of dungeon mastering, so I, I prefer to be behind the screen. But every once in a while, I'll play like we've played, you know, some of our off-the-cuff games. And for a while, I was playing with uh, the Lovecraft Ezine with the Call of Cthulhu games. That was fun, the Dennis Malone character, and that was, that was fun. But for the most part, dungeon mastering, yep. Okay. I, I love to play. I, I enjoy GMing, kind of. It always... You know, come up to games and I'm like, oh, I got to make sure I got all my stuff ready and I got all my papers out and I got all my notes together and I got all my little minis compartmentalized because, you know, 4E, call combat, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. But then the day would come and it'd be like, oh my God, I got to run a game today. Like everybody's <laughs> watching me, like everybody's <laughs> waiting. I'm like, fuck, I hate this so much. But then you do it. It's like, oh, this is so much fun. And, uh, you know, the player, you know, players create, you know, great memories and, you know, crazy things will happen like, you know, owl bear companions or whatever um but i i really enjoy playing um being able to tell a story 
Um, you know, I always do all the fiddly bits for the table. I do a lot of crafts and, you know, can be like, Oh, look at this cool thing. You know, let's, let's go ahead and, and go, um, you know, kind of like, don't watch over here. I'm doing something over here. Um, but yeah, I, I, I prefer to play. I mean, I enjoy it and, and, you know, kind of like Oscar, but it, it sort of depends on the game, like d- depends on the relationship to the character, like the previous campaign that, that uh, Vince ran, I got to play uh, an assassin, which I never got to play in, in second edition. So that was, a bad, that was a badass character. And it was really great. It was tons of fun to play. And, and kind of like the fear game. Now there was always that hesitancy and, and I would ask and I would like email people like, hey, like, I don't want to be taking over the game. Like, I don't like because things will happen. And you're like, OK, you know, it's like you don't want to be the leader, you know, like Oscar was saying or, or you know, Neil. Um, but, you know, you just kind of really get into that moment and just sort of really develop all those things and start to hit all those notes. And then you're like, shit, I've been talking for 15 minutes already. Like, what's everybody doing? Because, <laughs> you know, especially playing this way, because most of that campaign, you know, I was not at the table. I was playing, you know, via Hangout. So you don't really get to get that table interaction quite as much. But th- that was a hell of a fun character to play. Yeah, that was cool. Very good. And, you know, Vince would email me or text me on the phone because I had a little raven that would talk to me because he was a, a follower of the Raven Queen. So, you know, players didn't know. And, you know, you try to describe all those actions as they're happening. Like, oh, yeah, I look at my shoulder. I'm, you know, ear, you know, ear cocked to the raven. And then crazy shit would happen in game. Like, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> like, yeah, that's, well, that's great about um the digital age now like in the past you'd have to pass the player a note so you knew something was going on between that player and the dm now nobody <laughs> nobody can tell if you're very yep. you know subtle about it facebook messaging right. yeah there you yeah. Go. yeah we did tons of that exactly yeah so um, that's, what, that's really cool well so that leads us to another question then so what what is the role of tech at the table do you guys like it don't like it it's, is it absolutely necessary um with, with the exception of maybe the random random text to alert a player to something that's specific to the storyline, I'd rather not have tech at the table. I don't use it. Um, I think fundamentally it's a distraction. Uh, my own opinion. I, I know people do use it. They allow it. That's fine. Um, I frown upon it. I think it takes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, maybe if everyone was using tech and that's what you're doing, maybe you're playing a Shadowrun game. And it's a, a contextual component to it i don't but tech in a DD game i no. you're taking you're taking me out of the story too much so the only thing i would use tech for is to set up background music well yeah there you go yes <laughs> i mean literally i, I don't I don't, use, I don't use tech at all if i have to tell something to a player in private i will just say come with me and i will go to the other side of the room and let everyone else sweat <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've done and that some, too. Yeah. And sometimes it'll be nothing. <laughs> just to just to keep them guessing. You're like, yeah, how's the weather? Just talk about uh, it. But you know, I run I run Call of Cthulhu. So if you're that player that uh, you know, I say, what well, could you come with me, please? It's it's a pretty good chance that you've been you know snatched and killed, and no one's noticed. <laughs> so. Or gone insane, or yeah, you don't want to be the guy pulled aside. It's not like right. Well, you do, yeah, that's like a dead man walking. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or God is now whispering Literally. in my head. Great. <laughs> right, right. Um, no, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally anti tech at the table. Uh, I and I don't even like people using their phone to like roll dice. Oh you know, no! You know, 
For, yeah, that's annoying. For, 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 for F's for F's sake, get a set of dice. Borrow yeah. a set of dice. <laughs> oh, but my dice roll. No, no, that's it's annoying. Put your goddamn phone away. Yeah, yeah. I don't want you playing yeah. Candy Crush during my narrative. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have a. Yeah, I'm like a tech hypocrite because <laughs> I hate things. I hate physical. I hate things, things too. <laughs> books. Like I am not a guy who's like I. I enjoy books as a concept, but I don't want them. I've had so many times in my life where books are the bane of my existence because I'm lifting like 300-pound boxes of fucking books. So I'm like, fuck books. So I always want the PDF up in case I need to reference some obscure rule that has come up that I'm like, oh, you know, how does that work or whatever if I'm not super familiar with the system. So I always have a computer when I'm running, but when I'm playing, I've noticed like, a couple times when I've like, oh shit, my sheet, I left my sheet in my other bag or whatever. I'm running off the computer. It's like, I'm like a thousand times worse. I hate myself doing it. I'm like, I feel like I'm not paying enough attention. So I really try not to have it as a player. And I prefer my players not be constantly like texting and shit. But I do like, I have to have PDFs of my books because I like to search stuff. And I just hate looking through a physical book all the time. And I'm not dragging shit around because I never play at my house. So, no, when uh, I've been running Pathfinder for the last few years, and so as a as a successor to Third Edition and 3.5, there's a ton of stuff in that system. And so, running that at the head of the table, I have my laptop next to me. I have a combat. I have combat manager open. I have the PDFs open. I have uh, all of my uh, my campaign notes are on Google Drive. Uh, so that's how I run currently, and especially you know when we do the Hangouts game, like I have my computer in front of me anyway. So why not just have everything there anyway? Um, however. I'm going to be making the switch to 5e finally in a few weeks. And I am giving up all my tech. I'm wow. figuring that you know, the Pathfinder is, and you know 3.x are very intricate detailed systems. And I think 5e lends itself better to paper and pencil. So I have a notebook and I've created GM cheat sheets that I've glued to the back of it. And I have index cards with all the monster stats on them. Nice. And I am, yeah, I'm going a hundred percent non-digital and I am really pushing my players to go the same because I hate a, like you said, I hate people, you know, for a fact they're on Facebook, they're on Twitter, they're on Instagram. Uh, and right. <laughs> and especially if they're, even if they're not, if they're dedicating themselves a hundred percent to the game, their and their phone or their tablet just has their character sheet on it. You say, you know, okay, uh, wizard is the lich is casting a spell on you. Uh, give me a deck save, and they're like, oh, okay, uh, all right, swipe to lock. Well, I put my password in. All right, let me find That's the sheet. Me, and it's like, dude, just if you had a sheet, bam, right there. That's my decks. 
It's just so much faster. Said I felt like that a little bit when we were, you know, doing the Pathfinder, the the all hangout game, you know, because you have your sheet up and I would try to leave it to skills, but then you'd invariably ask for something that I wasn't scrolled to. I'm like, oh shit, wait a minute, let me scroll down. What was my stealth or, you know, what was my AC? Like, you know, you, you kind of know your character, but like, mm-hmm. you know, in that one instant that you need the thing, it's like, oh crap. <laughs> you know? Right. But it was like, eh, everything's right here in Obsidian Portal. Why should I print the character sheet out? Like, I can just <laughs> yeah. look at it, you know. Yep. Uh, and I actually think it's it's the worst for casters because they inevitably have that spell app on their phone. <laughs> and so they don't feel the need to jot down the details of their casting and of, of their spells. They feel like they can just, oh, I want to cast this spell. Okay, give me 5 to 15 seconds while I look it up. Mm-hmm. Drive Where, me what's, fucking it, bananas and I'm not even the GM yeah. of the game. But I'm <laughs> yeah. like, okay, yeah. that raises a very, this was my question. I'm going to interject a question. How many weeks, I'm going to say weeks, plural, into a game, is it okay to be pissed off as a player or GM, DM, for someone not knowing what one of their fucking spells does. Hmm. I'd give it a, about no. 10 minutes. Is, is, it, is it a spell <laughs> that's like every once in a while, like find object, or is it like a utility spell that's only useful in that certain, th- or is it like their day-to-day go-to you know, sawdust on the floor spell I guess that they've cast three times and they're still looking it up. I would say between the two, yeah. like, it wasn't, like, so specific, like, it was, uh, it's not, like, create or destroy water, and it's like, well, how much many gallons does that create? That is one thing, but, like, last week I was, like, furious, because we've, okay, we've been playing for, I don't know, two months and the priest only knows so many spells and I actually I got mad and I think he got mad at me because I was like how many fucking weeks have we been playing how do you not know how much damage that does like and he was kind of like I don't even you know it was only once a week and I play you know second edition and I was like motherfucker it's like a healing spell and you're a life cleric (laughs) You should know what it does. And it just, like, I was just, like, it was just one of those days. I was just at a point where I was, like, there's so many people, like, constantly, are, like, they're looking for their attack bonus. They were, people were looking for their attack bonus four weeks in. I'm, like, your attack bonus? You're a rogue! All you do is attack shit! <laughs> and I just get, like, I get, like, furious, because I know everyone, like, unless you say, like, a will save that I never make. Like, I know my con save. I know my strength. Like, yeah, it just drives me nuts, man. And I'm like, three, four weeks in, you should really have this shit down unless it's a brand new spell. <laughs> and you wrote it down today, the session. Yeah, well, if you're playing every week, there's there's no excuse. I mean, we, we played with somebody who, <laughs> after a year still didn't know what their character did and other people at the table would be like roll these dice do this thing you can do this thing like <laughs> like not even seeing the character she's like i know what you can do just do this thing that's all you do <laughs> just just sit there till we call on you <laughs> i i wow. might get myself in trouble but i'm pretty sure nobody listens to this that i know 
uh, all five people. Um, almost two years uh, still has to ask which one to roll to attack. <sighs> forget about forget about what weapon or anything Wait. like that. Still does not understand. It's a D twenty. <laughs> <laughs> it's a d20 system like this this is your right. engine yeah like it's, it's even named after it <laughs> it's called d20 had, system for a reason yep yep i have another wow. care an, another player almost three years had this character um still almost every single session has to look up gust of wind that, wow. it's yeah. I, well, yep. so does that the, do you think do you guys think that that speaks to that those players level of engagement with the game and with the story absolutely. and what's happening or yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like yeah, they they like yeah, I don't know why they're necessarily there then cuz I feel like I want to know those things so like I don't give a shit about like just attacking, right? Like I don't like, the fights are fun to a degree, but it's not like... I like to actually move the story, too. So if you're looking up stuff, like, if you're looking up a spell every other spell during a game, like, we get nowhere. Because it's like, hold on, let me see. Or, like, I don't know. If you, I have a whole... Like, anytime players, it's like, okay, it's me, then you, then you go. That third person, when they go, oh, jeez, I don't know. And I'm like, I'm a fighter, I attacked. He's the ranger. He shot his bow. You fucking knew what we were doing. You didn't have to plan for this. No one else moved. How do you not know what you're doing? Yeah, it drives me nuts. Yeah, I skip them. I have very little hate, guys. I, little yeah, I've I've outright skipped people before. So if you don't know, oh, see, don't know what you're gonna do, I give you five seconds. I say, do you know what you want to do? If they say, give me some time, they they're mulling something over. I give them another five to eight seconds. And yeah, then, uh, and then if they still don't know, I say, okay, let me know what you want to do. Let me know when you want to interject and I move to the next person Yeah, because I think that's the easiest way. In, if you give them the time to keep mulling things over, they're just going to keep filling their brain with possibilities. Yeah. So you, you, you say, that's it. All right. You can think of it on your off time. Most of the time they don't even interject. Um, but yeah, that's the best way I've found to kind of move stuff along is to be, all right, you have, do you want to act? And then, okay, you're not acting next person. Yeah. All right, I, Jesse's anticipating my next question now. So what, what do you guys feel is the most effective way then to get players to engage with the story, with the game, with their characters, when you see, you know, these sort of things happening where somebody's playing Candy Crush or they're, you know, continually getting up from the table or, um, you know, any, any, you know, those sort of random things that, you know, sort of signal that something's not clicking. Huh. I guess That's it's hard on them. Yeah, it's hard. But I, I don't have a good answer for, like, in the moment, right? Because, like, I think it goes back to, like, everyone needs a moment to shine. Like, I feel like there has to be points, at least whether it's – it can't be every session, but, like, there has to be points where the person's like, man, I really killed it this time, or, like, that was all me. Whether the story focuses on them or whether, you know, something – a fight is kind of, right, tailored to their character being able to do something special – I think that stuff helps. 
And then some people I think just like are going to like, they're there to hang out and socialize and that's great. And they're playing a character you need anyway. So that's great. And they may never be engaged. I don't know. Those ones are the ones that I have a, tr a tough time figuring out. Mm. Um, one of the techniques I like to, to do in cases like that, if I find a player who's having trouble connecting with the, the narrative or the character or, or the other players, is I will put their character in a situation where they have to be the focus of the narrative for at least the one scene. Maybe there's a witness that will only really relate to them. Um, maybe they're the ones who've, who have this weird encounter that's vital for it. Um, or, you know, maybe something happens when they're away from the other group, you know, the other players, so that they then have to go and say, guys, you won't believe what happened on the way home from the library. And they've got this vital clue, this vital piece of the story. So it kind of pulls them back into it. That being said, if you're dealing with someone who's just getting up, walking away on their phone, when you're trying to, to monologue as your villain, they're on, they're swiping on Tinder. Um, that's just plain disrespectful. And, you know, you, they're wasting your time, you know, and they're wasting their time because they're obviously not, they're not engaged. You know, they're there for the pizza and the company, um, which, you know, is, is disrespectful to the social contract of a gaming table. Mm-hmm. Now, well, at what point but, would you... I mean, I'm sorry if I'm, like, a little heavy, but, you know... <laughs> oh, no. In, in a way, no, the game at, at what, like yeah. my church, you know? Well, I, I was going to say, though, um, just to cut you off real quick, Jesse, um, that kind of speaks to your your table group, you know, because, uh, you know, expectations different if you're, you know, playing at your local game store, you're playing at a convention, people are there at a hardcore game because that's what, what we're coming for. Um, you know, if you get together once a month with your friends or once a week with your friends, um, if the group is a more, uh, you know, more of a social gamer group where it could just as easily be board games as RPGs, then, you know, maybe that's less of an issue in engagement. You just sort of get what you get out of it. You know, people are coming and they're hanging out. We're going to have a couple of beers. We're going to play some games and, you know, we'll do it again next week or next month. Um, if, if the, and I agree with you, Oscar. And I think if they if the group is more serious collectively, then then it becomes more of an issue of hey, like, do you want to be here, or you know, what do we do? Do you not like the character? Do we need to roll a new character? You know, is there something you know that we can do with your character that you know pulls them into the story more, and then you know, kind of adapt you know the story around maybe you know something that the player doesn't feel like they're suited to do, so maybe they lose the engagement that way. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on that? That's something I, I think is t tough to even maybe convince a player of, if it's even if it's a good idea. I think some of the times the disengagement that I've seen is, like, they thought the character was going to be this, and, like, it was going to be really awesome at this. And it turns out they're like, eh, mechanically it doesn't, it's not what I wanted, and maybe it doesn't fit what I wanted to play. But they're kind of like, well, I don't want to you know, give up, like, X amount of time spent playing it, but, like, do you have them re-roll, and is there, like, I disagree, like, my opinion is we made a group as a collective decision. If someone wants to re-roll a character, if someone re-rolled when we were, like, level four, and they're like, screw it, kill my character, I don't like this character, and I want to bring a new guy in, and so we felt like it's kind of ridiculous to make it start at level one. 
So like, yeah. I was like, okay, well maybe we'll do the lowest. You'll start at whatever the lowest of all of the members that have been here. You'll just start at the lowest members level or something. What are your guys thoughts on that? And like maybe suggesting outright, like, do you want to maybe play a different character? Like maybe something else would suit you better. I've got a good, I've got a good answer for this. Um, what we've done in the past is if somebody just wants to drop out of their character or, I mean, I've run Call of Cthulhu. Death is ever present. So someone yeah. dies. You, you, you don't want to work in a brand new character in the middle of like a campaign or a long <laughs> adventure. Yeah. Um, Cause they're like, Oh, you know, my uncle Ted shows up from the mainland and you know, Oh, fancy <laughs> meeting you here. Come fight the undead. Um, <laughs> what we do is we pick a, a compelling NPC that we've already met. Who's already connected. And that, and then we stat that fucker out and that's your character. Cause there's a reason for you to be there and we already know you and you're already involved. So, I mean, if you're like in a and d group and this guy's like, look, this, this, this cleric is just not working out for me. Maybe the, the bartender at the tavern that you know, who's an established NPC just says, you know what? I've had enough of, of, you know, the abuse of this employer, you know, I used to, you know, I'm going to go with you guys. I used to adventure. I bought the bar, but I, I, you know, I missed the road and you, that guy rolls up a new character and he rolls. Um, he rolls with the group that he already knows and he's already connected to. I mean, the world is full of NPCs. Any one of them could be a PC, you know? That is brilliant. Yeah, hey, I like that. I, I actually, I've sadly never thought of that. That's brilliant. <laughs> Me neither. It, it can, it, I feel like it's obvious, but I'm like, now that you said it, I'm like, oh, that's, that's an obvious way of doing it. That's, I never I thought am. of well, it. Well, it's not obvious. It's, 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 it was just a string of luck we came up with one day and we made it our, you know, a, a standard operating procedure. And it all started when my group was, I was running a game and they were all on an island where there was a sanitarium. <laughs> and they're literally on an island. There's yeah. no way to get yeah. another player in. And a really good friend couldn't make the first session of the game. So session two, he's like, all right, how do I catch up? I'm like, there's oh, no God. way. There's, they're literally on an <laughs> island. And what we did is that, you know what? Um, while the players were searching the sanitarium, they found a unconscious, bleeding to death madhouse attendant who wasn't wow. dead. He was left for dead. They gave him first aid and they kind of patched him up the guy rolled up that guy. His name was Alexei, like Alexei Marikov. He was like a Russian immigrant, uh, ma you know, madhouse attendant. And he's like, I don't know what happened. Everything went crazy. And that was his character for like the next three wow. years. I love it. <laughs> um, and it was literally, it. he goes, I'm a madhouse attendant. He's like, he had no choice. It was the only way I could. <laughs> you're like, like, this is the like, one dude, you're, you're killing me. You're killing me. It's like, I, wow. I, it, it's, a, it's a sanitarium on an island. There's not a lot of choices for people who are going to be there. And he loved it, and he played them for years and years. That's amazing. I love it. Well, if anything ever happens to Aaron, I'm playing Cleet. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. Can we have a Cleet character without offending half of the known universe? Yeah, probably not. It was a very offensive character, but, you know. 
That's a C. Again, that's why I do these things as GM that I won't do as a player character. <laughs> Cleet, good NPC, terrible PC. Yeah, probably. I'll have predictions funny to play. Alright, I'm sorry I'm distracted. The Flyers just scored and they're beating the Rangers. I'm so excited. Oh my god, get that tech out of the table, John. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, well, you know, I'm playing um, Candy Crush. Screw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I I had one player who would come and uh, he enjoyed the game, was having a good time, and you know we would be doing stuff, and I'd look over and he would literally be playing Candy Crush or some other type of of thing at the table. Um, I I just kind of let him do his thing. Like if he was ready in combat when his turn came up, I just, you know, kind of let it slide. Um, you know, we only played like once a and it was worse cause we only played once a month. So like, this is all you're getting for a month. We're going to play for, you know, three to four hours, maybe five hours tops. Um, yeah. and, and he was in like, so what I started to do with, which Vince started, I, I stole this from him. Um, and I, and they sort of do in fifth edition now by default as I tried to engage them more with, better role play from me so that they had to engage with NPCs um, to, to sort of bring them into things. And, and Dan who plays Spritel in, in the ongoing campaign, uh, he really kind of picked it up and started to roll with it. And then, and then this other guy, Josh, he kind of like sort of piggyback on, on top of that. And then I would hand out um, like plus one card. So, you know, if they did good role play, you know, like, boom, here you go, like a, you know, almost like a fate coin or whatever, like add plus one to your role or add plus two to your, you know, some role in the future to yeah, try to bring them. Or called that, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So, so I tried that. Um, we didn't, I didn't specifically prohibit tech at the table. I don't use it. Um, you know, use it in prep, obviously, you know, I have the character builder and all those things. Um, uh, but I, everything pen and paper, paper notes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if I was going to, if I was going to start a new campaign, uh, I would probably make mention of like, Hey, let's all be on paper. Let's, you know, make sure we have all of our stuff. Um, cause it's, it's easier. You know, if you have two page character sheet, there's not a lot of flipping around. You don't have to unlock anything. You don't have to swipe anything. Definitely have dice. If you're playing games, why do you not have dice? I mean, that is such a such an integral part of a role playing game. Is just and you know and and maybe it's it's superfluous to some people, but to have the dice to have that you know just yeah that it makes it. I mean, especially like if you're in combat, do you want to shake your phone and then wait for the things to start? Oh, I rolled a seven or whatever. Like it just doesn't, it's not the same. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brad. It's not the same. Buy some dice. You only need one D six. I was it. at a, I was at a con once and somebody goes, I don't have dice. I go, the dealer what? room, the dealer's room is yeah, right down. Right. Oh, I'll wait. We'll take a bathroom yep. break. <laughs> like, like nope, my, uh, you son my of a bitch first... came to the con without dice. <laughs> There's a dealer's room full of dice. Here's $3. <laughs> Go get yourself a set. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, people are like, oh, man. I'm like, $3 on Amazon, for God's sake. And you can get, like, a bucket of dice. <laughs> Just buy a bucket. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you know what? My, my, first, my first time at PAX... Um, I went to a table game and one of the players, it was his first time ever playing a tabletop game. He had, he 
just randomly saw it and was like, you know what? I've never done this before. Sat down. And when the, you know, the DM was like, all right, well, everybody, you know, do you have your dice? And he had nothing. Cause he has never, he has no idea what to expect. And so I, I happened to have my bag with me with all my dice in it. So I pulled it out. Gave, I had it the, in the bag. I think I had like seven or eight sets of dice. And, uh, and so I just pulled out a few uh, and hand it to him and he's like, all right, here, start with this. Because, you know, some sometimes people don't have shit. I mean, to be fair, like the best part, like the guy that runs the D&D game for us has literally like, you know, like party mix comes in like the giant plastic tub. Mm-hmm. He has a giant plastic tub filled with just assorted <laughs> dice. dice. So you could literally make like a hundred sets of dice out of that if you needed. So like, there's no reason for anyone, like a couple kid, like a couple of guys playing are new, so they didn't have dice to start. So they just used his. And now they've bought dice and freaking bought custom made characters that get 3D printed or whatever. <laughs> and so like, they went like completely the other direction. But yeah, like he just has Mine's a giant box and he'll be like, there, like make your dice. <laughs> Nice. Make a set. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I've lent dice before. I mean, I have enough that you can kind of pass them around. But like as a player, just switch the other side. Don't touch my dice. <laughs> you know, you put the bad juju on it. But yeah, I mean, if if you know somebody coming new to the table, like said they don't know what to expect, or you know maybe they popped in like, oh, what are you guys doing? Well, this seems kind of cool. Maybe I could play. Oh no, I don't. You know, I don't have anything with me. I have a pen. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, then then that's understandable. But you know, if you're if you're playing, yeah, I mean, you should be. I mean, that's just courtesy, like like Oscar was saying earlier. Courtesy comes to the table. You should be prepared. Right. Yeah, mm. you should have a fully fleshed out character sheet. You it should be updated. You should have all prevalent knowledge and information at, uh, at your fingertips, and you should have your dice with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Four things, not too hard. <laughs> and it bathed in the last 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least a handy wipe. Yeah. And wearing clean underwear. Or, yeah. I, I don't need to check on the underwear. Yeah. <laughs> as as Sometimes you can just tell. <laughs> the flies are a giveaway. Yeah. Well, so going back to touch on something we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, is it the responsibility of the GM talking about player engagement and things like that? Because all right, let me back up. So everybody comes to gaming for a different reason. You've got, you know, the the showman. You've got the, you know, all these different archetypes of people that come and play, have different play styles. Is it incumbent upon the GM then to try to engage all those people on the level that they're coming to play for? So if you're homebrewing a campaign and, you know, one player wants to do all the talky bits, so they, you know, have to make sure that you write NPCs in the world that, you know, they can do the talky bits. And if one player is just coming to, they want to kill all the things, murder hobo, you know, Mm -hmm. that they have suitable things to kill. So do you want to sort of design adventures or scenarios around everybody at the table? I'd say that you want to get as many people engaged as possible. Uh, Obviously also depending on your group size, if you have, you know, three or four people at your table, players, other players at your table, it's going to be a lot easier. Mm -hmm. If you have six or seven or eight people, not so much, but I'd say it's you've taken on the mantle of the DM, so it's your job to please as many people as possible. 
uh, to create a game that will be inviting and entertaining <sighs> to the majority of the people sitting around the table. And that includes yourself. You are GMs are a player. And I think a lot of people forget about that sometimes. So you have to create a campaign and an adventure and a single session that pleases. You're not going to please everybody all the time, but you at least have to try to please most people. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think, so. I think you should definitely try. But again, not all things at all times, but plus I think it gives a people a chance to stretch. Sometimes that they may not think they're an RP guy, but then poor girl, and then they show up and they're like, oh, that was kind of fun. So... I think there has to be some kind of a an understanding of what everybody's role is in the group and what the vibe is. I mean, you can't have, you know, some charismatic diplomatic guy and his best friend is the murder hobo. <laughs> and they go through adventure <laughs> and their play styles just completely screw the other one over every, mm. you know. I mean, you know, in Call of Cthulhu you have different kinds of people who are good at different things. And then they split up and I'll tell them, okay, make sure that the first people going to break into the house and search actually have B and E skills <laughs> and good spot hidden. And the people who are going to speak to the widow actually have good people skills and, and, and a credible social standing. And it seems like a stupid tip, until you get like the gangster going to the dinner party and the you know and, and the socialite you know breaking into the warehouse and yep. like, did you guys think this out at all um, so yeah you can plan something for everyone it doesn't mean that particular person is going to go do that particular thing um, so you, you, you have to kind of keep it open, but there's no way unless you're just going to like grab them by the nose and shove them into the scene to guarantee that that's going to be what it is. You have to make every effort to entertain everyone, but you're not a slave to the players. Um, you know, the, there are going to be adventures that are more enjoyable for certain characters than the other. You know, you've got two dwarven characters and like, oh, this time we're going, you know, we're going underground. And the elves are like, oh, that sucks. And the dwarves are like, oh, this is awesome. Well, you know, the elves suck it up and in a few weeks we'll be in a forest. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. And the dwarves will be like, oh, well, this sucks, but you guys came with us to underground, so we'll come with you to the forest. Um, so, you know, you can't write, you can't always please everyone with every scenario, but you know, you, you try and, and keep it fair and, and, and give everyone, you know, entertain everyone as much as you can, you know, within reason. Well, and I think, too, like in the scenario you just described where, you know, the elves have to suck it up and go underground, that sort of uh, scenario could lend itself to, you know, more player engagement through role play, you know, where it's like, hey, 
you know, you're coming to do our thing and, you know, you just sort of riff, you know, sort of on that dynamic. Cause then there's tension between the players. Like, Hey, we don't want to be here. And you're like, yeah, I know you don't want to be here, but we have to go do a thing. And, you know, you sort of get that interplay back and forth. When I first started listening to uh, the dragon fisters, I, I sent Jesse an email and I'm like, what is up with your players? Like they just do the things to like sabotage everything, like each other themselves. Like what is happening? But, but that sort of dynamic, I, you know, really lends itself to some really good role play if you're into role play. Right. I, I ran a D&D game for many, many years, and half the group was Dwarven, half the group was Elven. And they were basically mm. like emissaries from two neighboring kingdoms, and they patrolled the border. So it was like the dwarves at the edge of the mountains and the elves at the edge of the forest. And they called themselves the Fellowship of Leaf and Stone because um, they were border. They were basically border patrol between, you know, because goblins would rush, you know, keep crossing the border to dodge one side or the other. Um, and over time, one of the dwarves learned tracking from an elven ranger and another dwarf found out he actually kind of liked being on boats. <laughs> um, and it was like, you know, dude, you're crazy. He goes, you like tracking? And he goes, well, that's different. And they slowly got an appreciation for the other cultures. And the same thing with some of the elves characters. Um, I had one elf character start drinking beer. And he's like, you know, it's not that bad. You know, it's a, it's a pleasant change. It's hearty. It's almost like food. So it, it got they got to role play and develop their characters because they were forced into situations that they, you know, might not have, have wanted to do at first, but it was a great opportunity for their characters to grow. So if your players want to be engaged, they'll find a way to be engaged. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, you know and uh, player agency is also why I do so little session planning. You know, like you said earlier, John, I have... I, I I am a world creator. You know, I've created the area and the and everything around the people, and I know a sto a timeline that's going to happen, and certain events that are going to take place. But when it comes, you know, beat to beat, I I try to have as much relevant information around them as possible. But I don't want to force them to okay this is a uh, diplomatic mission and you must use your social skills or, you know, this one, you have to sneak into this keep or you have to fight your way through these hobgoblins. Uh, because I think that if you're pigeonholing them session to session and moment to moment into these specific scenarios, uh, they first lose their, sense that they're actually having an effect around the world um, and in the game and be it's if they end up choosing not to do that you've put all this time and effort into planning this one specific scenario and then you end up having to bs your way out of it anyway so why not just go into it prepared to bs right i think that the biggest skill for gm is is improv because um, you you literally have no idea what the players are going to do. Like you, you know, you could think you know because you're especially for homebrewing or if you're reading through a module, you're like, okay, I know what's happening and I know what they sh you know should be doing, and then 
you know, the players are like, nope, I'm going to go that way. You're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you guys doing? The story is over here. What happened? <laughs> so you have to be able to kind of, you know, adjust on the fly or, you know, if your monsters are east, you know, all of a sudden now they're west. Or, you know, if the, um, the messenger was riding in from the north, all of a sudden now they're coming from the south because that's the way the players decided to go because, you know, something looks shiny to the south. Um, <laughs> so yeah, being able to adjust on the fly is, is just integral to your, to your planning. Cause it, you know, it's cooperative storytelling. It's not, you know, I, like you said, you know, you have to use this skill. You're, you're going to go do this thing. It's like, okay, these, you know, these are the things largely that have to happen. And, you know, how are you going to do that? And maybe sort of plan for two or three different options and then still be ready for the fifth and sixth option. <laughs> I, we'll throw Neil under the bus. The seventh. Yeah, we'll throw Neil under the bus because he's not here. He doesn't plan anything. He just shows yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> but it works, so you know. It's yeah. pretty good. That's definitely a good uh, a good time. So, um, kind of you know we were sort of bashing on players a little bit earlier, but so if something comes up in game. Uh, you know, maybe an obscure rules thing or, uh, you know, player thinks something should happen this way and, you know, you're adjudicating this way. Um, how do you handle that in the moment, in the game? Um, is that something where we're like, okay, we're going to stop the game and let's figure it out? Or is it, hey, let's have a conversation later? Like, how does, how does that adjudication happen, you know, on the fly as things are happening? Depends on how complicated it is and if it's if – it's- if it seems like it's going to slow down the flow, um, it's it's it can be hard to tell. I mean, anytime you're adjudicating rules in the middle of a role play, you're kind of you're stuck. I don't know what do you guys do. I breaking I try to go with the quickest rule as possible. It's like yeah, that sounds good. Let's go with it. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. Kind of yep. Just keep keep things moving. Like yeah. you know, that's not a bad idea. So yeah. roll this <laughs> yeah. and this, and let's see how that works out for you. Or yeah. sure, you can try that, but you know, roll it with this penalty. And and if somebody goes for the rule book, I just hold up my hand. I'm like, no. Yeah, I, that, we're, that, we're that, not. That. We're yeah, we're not looking up complicated rules. We're just gonna keep game moving. Yeah, we have mm-hmm. one DM. Yes, what about second DM? Yeah, well, so our experience is, is a little fraught with uh, <laughs> perilous yeah, backstory. Fucking rules lawyers. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I mean, as player, I, I can be bad as far as that goes, especially for 40. <laughs> I know, right? That's um, all right. Anyway. We're, so I'm, 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 I'm admitting my mistakes. Um, That's good. But, Yep. We played a ton, and I knew it inside and out. So yeah, you're like, no, that's not right. It's this. <laughs> but, but so that so that sort of speaks to the social to social contract at the table, right? So like even uh, in the first game that Aaron played with us, um, you know, with a with a miss, I, I think Gabe, you know, shot him in the ass or whatever. <laughs> Pretty much. So, but like, so in the moment, it was sort of funny. But the rules lawyer in me, which didn't say anything, was. It's it's not that that doesn't equal it doesn't equal hitting your you know your your other player. Yeah, and, but and it, was, just, it was it was it was it was designed to uh, for like laughs and just to, to make 
you know, keep the flow going. I mean, ha ha, that's, you know, and visually, it's you're, if you're thinking it, as you're sitting there playing, you're thinking of your character doing these things and things that are happening to you. Like, that's yeah. funny. That, that's, you know, that works. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying, too. The rule's like, nah, what the fuck? That's stupid. That's not going to happen. <laughs> right. So, so is that the sort of thing that should be discussed before a campaign even begins or you know even if you're just playing a one shot like hey this is hey it's going to be a gonzo game you know everything everything's on the table you know and i guess it's sort of system dependent to a certain extent um mm -hmm. but you know is that something that sort of needs to be brought up like hey we're playing by the rules or hey you guys have you know sort of free reign to sort of do whatever you want to do yeah i think that's definitely that definitely should be part of your session zero is figuring out the tone that the rest of the table wants to play within, you know, that starts with w whether or not you just want to do a motor murder hobo campaign, or if you want to do an intrigue game or just something kind of funny, or if the table wants to be literal with the rules or give it some slack, or like you said, Vince, just like have fun with it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of not, not uh, uh, of setting a precedent. So I'll, I'll, I'll lay claim to that, that fault. I'm sure for sure. <laughs> no, and you know what? I have um I've leaned on the fact that the players around me mm. know the rules inside and out. Oh yeah, um, so well, yeah. Sometimes yeah. Yeah, I have I don't I don't I think that the the term rules lawyer has a sometimes justly negative connotation to it. You know, some people who are labeled rules lawyer are just dicks who are using <laughs> the rules to their advantage yeah. and speaking out of turn technically you know, so to speak and just constantly butting in um so instead i have rules adjudicators <laughs> they are the people i can turn to during the game and be like what's that rule what what is that mechanic yeah so that, no, that i don't that's a good thing. yeah i i can appreciate that well yeah. yeah but no nine times out of the ten i you know like oscar said i just kind of make it up <laughs> like yeah, I, you, you make it up so that it doesn't slow the game down. I get behind the keeper screen and it's like, I'm Aku. My word is law. Yes. I don't care what's in the rule book. It's my yep. game and we're moving forward. And when you run your game, you can use every <laughs> little annoying <laughs> asinine, slow the fucking game down rule you want. But yep. right now it's my game. So shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the moment that I mark as me actually becoming a DM, um, like becoming a leader at the table, was it was some stupid. I can't even remember what the what the actual situation was, but there was a rules conflict, and I just made up something. I said, you know what? Just give me a strength check, and we'll hash it out. And like five minutes went by, and one of the players gets up with the handbook to show me like the actual rule. And he gets about halfway up his seat out of his seat. And I'm like, sit the fuck down and shut up. <laughs> I can almost see you like the Batman meme. Where you're just <laughs> laughing. Yep. And the I was just, I, says yeah, uh-huh exactly he locked like we locked eyes and i was like sit the fuck down and shut up and he just like goes kind of deers in the head deer in the headlights and was like sat down close the book and afterwards you know the game the session ended and i pulled him aside and i said i'm sorry i didn't mean to blow up at you like that and he's like i'm sorry i was a dick for doing that in the middle of the session and from that point on um there's been one or two occasions 
with new players that join. But for the most part, no rules. I make it up as we go. If there's a, if I can't remember it and it's hashed out afterwards, after the session, when time doesn't matter, we'll pull out the books and we'll look up what the actual rule was. Yeah. Mm. If it even mattered, if we even remember at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, see, I, I would I would ask the players like in a scenario, be like, okay, you want to do this weird thing. This is what I think we should do. What do you think? You know, because then they're engaged. They feel like they have agency. If you're like, no, why would we roll a strength, a strength check? That's the stupidest thing in the world. It should be a dex check. It was like, uh, okay, that's fine. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, just make, make some sort of a check. Um, you know, I, I, oh, yeah. I want to throw the goblin out of the watchtower. What do I need to do? Okay. Um, you know, roll roll a dex to see if you can grab him. And then, you know, you could just push him over. Or he'll get a save. Mm-hmm. To you know, to see if he catches the edge of the thing. So, you know, if you if you, and I don't I don't think it's being wishy washy as much as just like, not sit the fuck up. You know, sit down, mm-hmm. and shut the fuck up. Yeah. You're like, hey, I, this makes sense to me to do it this way. You know, how do you guys feel about it? You know, and like I said, oh, just, absolutely, yeah. So that that was no, I've had yeah. that was always my thing. You know, to try to keep them engaged with you know that sort of adjudication as much as possible. But nobody nobody was me at the table. <laughs> So it didn't come up very much. It was more of like, hey, we want to do a weird thing. Like, okay, cool. Let's do a weird thing because we should be doing a weird thing. Whoa. No, if absolutely. If a player tells me what they want their character to do and I say, okay, roll me an athletics check and they come back and say, well, I think my character, the way that he would think would use this instead um, I'd fine roll with it. That makes that means that they are thinking about their character, and right. not just they might. I mean, yes, they are thinking about the mechanics of the game, but they are thinking what their character would do and how they would handle the situation. So, if they can come back with something like that, that is perhaps not mechanically better, but narratively better. Absolutely, go ahead and do it. Hmm. As long as they aren't like. Uh, can I use a uh, charisma check to break my fall? And you're like, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Give me a give me know. a strength check to push the goblin off. I think my character would use Arcana. In that yeah. Case. <laughs> you're like no. mage hand. <laughs> right. Not even close. And I'm like, I get it. Like, I, if it's a joke and it's clearly a joke, and everyone just laughs. Yeah. But like, I've actually had people ask. I'd be like. Uh, but like, oh, they seem actually disappointed. And I'm like, you knew I wasn't gonna go for that. Come on, but yeah, you gotta make it like a realistic check. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's one of the things I like about five e over four is like, there's none of this like crazy ridiculous stacking bonuses of stuff. It's either advantage right. or disadvantage. So like, you just show up and you're like, uh, I want to do this. Oh, well, that's really hard, and your character has no reasonable way to be able to do that. I'll give you disadvantage, or roll mm-hmm. a straight check, or, oh, yeah, you're, like, totally outmaneuvering them, so you'll get advantage. So I kind of like that it's pretty easy to adjudicate any of those types of things. That does help. And you know what, John? If hmm. you said Arcana and mentioned Mage Hand and you had it prepared, I'd absolutely let you do that. <laughs> I will keep that in mind. 
I mean, like, I thought, like, I, so, like, I've started doing more of that. Like, my guy, for some reason, I was going to use a whip as my primary weapon. Not a good choice. Like, the DM was like, I'll let you have it as, like, your standard weapon. But if you come bitching at me because you have a 1d4 damage, like, weapon, like, later on, don't come complaining to me. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll use a real weapon. But I have a whip. So, like, I was on a balcony, and we needed to escape. So I wanted to, like, use the whip Indiana Jones style, but I wanted to whip it around a guard and jump off and use him as my counterweight. There wasn't really anything there. And he was like, sure. And I'm like, do I just roll an attack roll? And he's like, yeah, just roll an attack roll. I was like, all right, do I need, like, an athletics? And he's like, well, you're going to pretty much jump off the balcony. That doesn't seem very hard. So, like, <laughs> he's pretty good at being able to be like, oh, that's a f- cool idea. Let's try it. So, you know. However, the it's... guard is going to have to make a strength check to make sure he can catch himself so he doesn't fall off the side of the balcony either. That was a whole argument of whether I... <laughs> I originally said I was going to whip it around his neck and jump off, which would have broken his neck. Because I wore plate armor, <laughs> I weigh like two hundred and twenty pounds alone. So like, there's no way that guy would have survived. And they're like, "Would your character really like straight up just neck murder a dude on a balcony to break his fall?" And I was like, "Neck maybe." And they're like, "No." I was like, "Fine, I'll whip his arm then." But I totally wanted to do the neck whip, like jump over, break his neck. And break my fall, but Jesus, I was nice. That yeah, you you needed to play uh, like Wushu or something instead to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've done like some crazy stuff this this game, like you know, some fun things that I feel like. I guess that's the thing. I it's a different GM style. Like if someone totally breaks something, I might get annoyed. Like if someone's like, I guess like Star Wars was the one that he got a little not frustrated but he basically told a character like you can't computer check everything like this is star wars everything's a computer and like every time he wanted a computer everything to like hack everything all the time and he's like like you can't be the only one able to do stuff and hack everything so like but there are times like i had a bat familiar so i had echolocation and it's like magical blindness and i was like but he doesn't the bat doesn't see and I can perceive through his senses. And he's like, but it's magical. I was like, but it's sound. And I'm like, we had a whole thing where like, he seemed kind of like, but I didn't want to like break. And I'm like, but I have it. And I picked it for flavor, like for a particular reason. Right. Cause I had that ability. Blind sight is an ability. So I wanted to have that. So like, if you're not doing stuff like that, I'll let you do it. I'm like, okay, well how can I work that in? And I feel like it's important to work those things in. Because otherwise, I'm like, why did I even take a familiar? Like, you pick cool familiars for a reason, right? Because, like, oh, I could have picked, you know, whatever, hearing, or the dogs have, like, keen smell or whatever. And I'm like, well, I should be able to use that to my advantage as a character. I'm not, I wasn't like, oh, well, this bat gives me ultimate murder hobo powers, and I can murder everything. So I think that's something I tend to not care about as much until it gets to the point of literally, like, I have a god crown that lets me literally be invincible and murder everything at, at literally the touch of a finger. 
unless you've broken it that bad. But otherwise, I'm like, yeah, how do we make this happen? Yeah, I think that's where, that's where, uh, that's why I think a DM should be involved in character creation from the very beginning. Because if, you know, if, if you're creating that character and then the D, you pitch this idea to him and he's like, nope, it won't work. And this is why, at least then you don't have your character based around that. And so when you yeah. get to the table in three sessions in, you pull that trick and he's like, no, that's stupid. It won't work. You're like, well, why the hell do I have this character in the first place then? Yeah. No, I, think a, I think a DM really needs to be there to make sure that the characters make sense within the game and also make sense with each other. You know, while it's fun to have like the chaotic evil wizard or the the rogue with the paladin and all that kind of it, it might sound good on paper, but it really depends on who's playing those characters. If those two players can make it work out well, and if it makes sense within the campaign story, and that's you know I've had campaigns where the DM's just like yeah, make a character whatever, and then the party shows up with you know five or six random characters that make no sense and actually end up hindering each other more than anything else. Yeah. All right. You don't want to show up to the table with the wizard in a non-magical game. Yeah, no magic <laughs> right, game. Exactly. I mean, I feel yeah. like I'm I'm a big session zero fan where people make the characters at least you can come in with ideas, but like at least they get rounded off during an everyone sitting there, so you can kind of bounce your backstories a little bit if there is one between characters or like why would this rogue you know, be with this paladin at all, and why does he not just, like, murder him for being evil or, you know, whatever. And then placing restrictions, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's almost, unless you're playing, I, if anyone's ever done this and had it succeed super well, let me know. I love the concept of, like, an evil campaign in D&D, but I feel like it's really hard to run that. Like we tried I've, it I've, once. I've been a it, player in such a campaign and I've run such a campaign and it can work. I just, I feel like it, it has the option of going way off the rails, like how evil. And well, then... if, if, if you start with the premise that people who are evil don't really think that they're evil, they just kind of think that they're right or they're self-centered or they're in a quest for power. They can justify themselves um so i i mean here's this you know silly story my evil character found some magical plate mail and i'm like an assassin i'm a you know fighter thief and i'm like well we we can we can sell this who likes magical plate mail oh those those paladins over at that keep let's go sell it to them so my you know my neutral evil character goes into the paladin keep <laughs> with some with some magical armor to sell with my companions and they're all giving me stink eye and i'm like what the fuck's with these guys i haven't done shit to them <laughs> you know they don't know me from dick you know i'm here to i'm here to make a deal you know i've got armor to sell and you know didn't really realize that they could detect evil because I mean, <laughs> my character 
doesn't really consider himself evil. And then, and then it hit me, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. And I go to my friends, I'm going to wait outside. You guys can finish up this deal. <laughs> I don't think I should be in here. And they go, yeah, I think that's a good idea. So I leave, and the keeper, and the, the DM goes to the other players, you know. You know your friend is evil, right? <laughs> and and my, the other players go, well, we didn't really know, no, but we kind of suspected, but, you know. He's our friend, and he's always been there for us. Um, you know what he does in his off time is is his own business, I get. And like, just so you know who you're dealing with, and I'm like, fuck you guys. You know, <laughs> you don't know me. These are my friends. I would never turn on them. Everyone else, but it was just if if you play from that mindset, it can be a lot of fun. Mm. But you can't be like, oh, I'm evil. I'm going to kill this baby because because evil. No, it's like you know. I had a fucked up childhood and I had some serious issues, you know, but it wasn't, I wasn't doing evil things to be evil. I was doing evil mm. things because I believed they were the right thing to do. Is it an evil petting zoo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the difference is if you're running a, uh, if your character is a despot and not a straight up psychopath, because that's the problem someone always wants to play a psychopath who's just like mm. chaotic evil and it's like chaotic evil people just randomly kill anybody like for any reason that's why they're chaotic evil mm, right, right maybe don't play that right because there's no like lawful evil i understand right like they have a code or even neutral evil could be like well i just do what's best for me and i have no moral and, and, those, and those people who are my friends yeah or and, yeah, whatever you're, you can have limits. Like everybody else. But yeah, I feel like chaotic evils just like wait a minute, like what? How do you play that without just literally? I mean, I, I know people that have played them, and they try to murder their friends in the night, <laughs> and then everyone gets mad at each other. See, and here's my problem with the with the way that goes too is that with, I think that pe people who play an evil campaign have to actually be even more careful of that. Because if you're playing with a bunch of neutral or good people, and pro probably there's a couple of lawful in there, if you do something to piss them off or to uh, to get in their way or steal something from them and, or turn on them in any way, I'd say chances are they're not going to kill you. They're gonna they're gonna tie you up in the woods and leave you there. Or they're going to turn you into the authorities. They're going to do something like that. Yeah. But if you piss off an evil person, if even if they're lawful evil, if you piss off that lawful evil paladin by, you know, screwing around with his holy symbol or, or kicking his mount or something like that, he's going to just straight up murder you. Like you just picked a fight with a powerful person who does not give a crap whether you live or die. So I and who does not care about death, about causing death to people. So I think that a group of evil players, a group of evil characters would be even more on their tiptoes about pissing everybody off around them. Right. Maybe if they're good players. That's the yeah. key. Yeah. People are just like evil campaign, we and then like it's a lot of party infighting. Yeah. But it's a good point, right? I think that's an interesting point. Yeah. Know, you have to play with mature player. players. <laughs> but I do feel like, yeah, I think there's a weird balance there of, I don't know. I, I 
have seen them be more party conflict because I guess it's more selfish. Mm. Every character is more selfish. And that leads to some conflict, usually direct conflict of some sort. Not necessarily killing, but like fights or like duels or whatever they decide to do versus like I've rarely seen like a player who's like a good player, like straight up be like, I'm a paladin and you did something wrong and now I must best you in fisticuffs and literally like (laughs) punch the crap out of somebody that's in their party. It seems to happen less often, but maybe that's because they're not playing their good character good enough. Mm. They're like, you're not, you gotta be better. Just take no crap. You gotta beat them up for that. (laughs) Well, no, Jose just wouldn't participate. He'd just go sit somewhere. I'm standing over here, guys. But uh, to take a, a little step back from uh, to what Oscar said, about, I think that that can not only be taken to heart about the the players and their motivations. Um, I mean, the characters and their motivations, but it, it never the the DM inevitably deals a lot more in evil than the characters do, and so thinking about your npc motivations and biggest of all your bbeg motivations um you know the the end boss so to speak um is is one of the biggest things you can do in order to bring the players and the characters into the story and actually bring things to life because if you just have the the you know black armor clad knight you know evil half lich death knight guy that is your bad you know your big big guy that they're going after and all he has is a mindless killing machine then yeah they kill it and all right good that's it but if you're if your big evil guy actually has motivations and ties into the world and in a legitimate moral whether or not his morals are twisted or not but if he has an actual moral reason for doing what he's doing i think that makes things a lot more interesting sure it's a lot more nuanced it's not just playing to the trope of the guy with the black hat right yeah for sure all right we're we're coming up i guess we're coming up on two hours here already so we'll uh i think maybe we'll end on this here um so what does it mean to be a a gm you know dm storyteller what what is it you know like oscar said you know this is my game my rules say we're playing that omnipotent, you know, hey, we're going to, this is what we're doing. Or, or more of, you know, like a guiding hand kind of, um, you know, assist in, you know, participate in the player's story, as it were, you know, kind of lay things out and, you know, sort of shepherd them along sort of thing. Well, I'd have, I'd have to say I'm more of a shepherding storyteller, but... Um, if somebody wants to interject rules to interrupt the flow of that story, that's when I have to shut that down. But as mm-hmm. long as the story flows and everyone is participating and having a good time and, and getting the, you know, having the story play out in a way that's enjoyable to them, then you've done your job. You know, your job is there as the, as the keeper or GM or DM. You know, you're not there to enjoy yourself. You're there to entertain the table. You know, um, if they want to run a game in a way that you really didn't want to run it, 
Um, you know, if, if you had a mystery and they're all murder hobos, then you're going to have a murder hobo mystery and it's going to be awesome. And they're going to have a great time and you're going to go home and say, I don't really know what the hell just happened, but everyone had a good time. So, okay. Hmm. You know, your, your job is to entertain the table, you know? And, and so I think that's what it means. You're ultimately an entertainer. Um, like a mm -hmm. singer or a comedian or, you know, a drummer or a painter. Um, you know, you're there for them. When I GM, I'm two of those four every time. <laughs> <laughs> so you sing and paint. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I always I have a portrait of each of my players at the end of every night. Yeah. <laughs> Comedian singer is like 90% of my GM shtick. Mm. No, I do seriously. I mean, actually, yeah, most of them are more serious. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that may be. I mean, I feel like the people here run good games, and so that's probably a more prevailing opinion. Because um, I think the best GMs are there to entertain the people, to facilitate the people at the table having fun. Um, I, I like to do it through world building as well, where I create a world and I open the doors for the players to take the initiative and do whatever they think is appropriate. But if they get stuck, I, you know, I'll add a character, uh, someone comes in to help them along or that, you know, something happens to push action. And, you know, that's kind of what you're there for is to keep the pace going to add, you know, entertaining things and to kind of give them, you know, give the audience what they want. If they want to be murder hobos, you better have something for them to murder every once in a while or, you know, maybe more often than not if everyone is a murder hobo. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think it's give the table, you know, kind of what they want. But at the same time, you know, I think the best GMs probably have fun when other people are having fun as well. Mm -hmm. So you have more fun the more people are engaged in your story. So I think there's a way to kind of everyone wins and i definitely don't think you should be the it's me versus the players i think that's no the worst way. thing a gm can be is like i'm here to just destroy my players and make them suffer because yeah. that, that doesn't work for anybody it's a one-sided <laughs> fight <laughs> yeah yeah a dm as the dm i could just pull you know <laughs> two ballers yeah exactly i could pull two or three ballers out of my pocket and be like bam you guys are fighting this oh yeah. you're dead oh too bad yeah. oh that's you guys are so cute i run call of cthulhu okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I could actually get away with that shit it, and true. it would be that was awesome <laughs> yeah people are like oh, the best game i ever played <laughs> Call of like Cthulhu players are like, oh my god, remember that time I got grabbed by the tentacle and my head fell off? You know, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. it's the opposite. My, my players are in the kind of a different mindset than, than, than exactly. most players. Very good point. Yeah. But but that is like sort of the the old style of GMing, right? And and maybe more specifically for, mm -hmm. for Dungeons and Dragons and that style of game of it's me against you guys, the whole, the whole table. Mm -hmm. um, and I you know, I, I guess maybe that could be fun. I, I've never played with anybody like that, so I don't, I don't get the mindset. I've never, you know, experienced that myself, so I don't, I can't really speak to it. But I know like that, 
you know, was a bigger thing back in the day, I guess, you know, neck bearded grognard sort of thing, you know, we're, you know, sit down, you're at the table, no outside conversation, no anything, everything's in character, you know, do what I say, follow the rules. Like it's a very stiff, a uh, very stiff experience, I would imagine. Now, I'll tell you, the, <laughs> I, you know, the, I, I mentioned the moment that I, that I became, I, in my mind, a table leader. And the, the moment that I think I became a good, a decent storyteller was a little later on when my players had a fully in character conversation with i didn't say a single word for over 45 minutes wow and the only thing i did is they the conversation started between two players i mean two characters when they woke up in the morning it was the character that was on watch and then another character woke up and they started having this conversation and the only thing i did was just walked around the table every few minutes and said you've I, I'd lean over whisper in their ear and say you you've woken up now and but for 45 minutes they had a 100% in character conversation and I didn't have to do anything and I knew at that point that I had set this world up and they had invested themselves in it and I think that's when you whenever you get that feeling like that it doesn't have to be in a 45 minute conversation it can be in your one of your players mentioning something that happened 2 months or 2 years ago that they just remembered and are able to associate with the game now or anything like that but when you get that moment i think that's that's like the rub that's the perfect moment for any dm out there Mm-hmm. And, and we we've had that in the online game too, where you were like, all right, and I'll be back mm-hmm. in a minute. I got to go grab a drink or whatever. And you know, we would just continue to role play, and you'd come back, and we'd still be role playing. And mm-hmm. you know, things would kind of, you know, we'd see that you were back, and we kind of keep going, and then stop and be like, okay, cool, you know. And it, yeah. you know, it just might be like side conversation, or you know, didn't have to be anything specifically that was, you know, moving the story along. But it was just sort of that, you know, player interaction, just kind of like filling things out and making it a little bit more real, so to speak. Exactly. Um, and, and, and that's awesome because like you say, you know, you do set the stage and, uh, you know, players just pick it up and, and run with it. I don't know what episode it is. John, refer them to which fear itself episode that you dropped. That was like an hour and a half of you guys talking. And I didn't say a word <laughs> about what the hell you were going to do. I think it was episode session seven. One of those three episodes. I was like, I am not going to interrupt. Because you guys are really on a tear right now. <laughs> it's almost awesome every action. session. <laughs> you guys do a lot of play, but like the plan, like the planning was getting so like you guys were on like of the tenth contingency, and I'm like, I'm just gonna let them go. I enjoy planning episodes when people are like trying to come up with what they're doing, and I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. I like listening to it, but sometimes I feel like listeners might just be like, oh my god, just do something. <laughs> Stop already. goddamn planning and roll a die. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, uh, it's, you know, yeah. I love the the first. A, it was a great plan, and then it all got sh- fucking went to shit in like the first roll. So oh then I was God. like, "Thanks, there Brett. we go." <laughs> but, I don't yeah, think Brett we can say that. <laughs> the best type of it's the best game is the one where you you set everything up perfectly, and then that domino just don't fall. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and it's you know, almost think, more fun. 
It is. But, yeah, uh, but I think when uh, the, the, as you know, I think we've all played D&D here and inevitably as D&D players, uh, sometime in your history, you stat up yourself, right? And I think that the ultimate, it was when we did that as a group and the very first thing they said, well, Boost, you're obviously a, a bard. And I had to think about it and I was like, oh, I guess the DM is a bard. Like you're the one that that sets up the story and and creates the fables and and gives the people this conduit. Cool. All right. I think um, we could probably wrap it up here. We we've got other stuff we can do this again, um, and and talk more GM stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff we've left uncovered for sure. Uh, but I'm pretty sure with group you could have this go on for like. A two-day conference and we wouldn't stop so yeah. <laughs> probably gm roundtable part two this time yeah. less player bitching yeah. <laughs> i mean if you get a group of five people that sit there and tell stories to people every week or whatever most of their time they're gonna talk a lot it's the, it's like five storytellers all time to tell stories to each other it's great Yep, it's awesome. So uh, thanks everybody for for coming in. Uh, shout out to Kurt from MFGcast. He was supposed to be with us tonight, but uh, kid's sick, so uh, he's on uh, he's on kid watching duty tonight. So you know, been there, there bud. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Best, best next time, Kurt. Recovery. <laughs> so, Sounded gross. Yeah, there was vomiting <laughs> involved and things, so it didn't sound like a, a real fun time. So, um, so we're. You know, fingers crossed there's uh, no stomach flu going through their house. But, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, thanks for coming on. We're going to have Oscar on, uh, I guess, in a couple of weeks. we got a Kickstarter mm-hmm. for Cthulhu Invictus coming up here. The, and, kick, uh, the Kickstarter launches two weeks from today. Midnight tonight will be two weeks. It starts uh, February 8th the, for the 7th edition Guide to Cthulhu Invictus. Horror role playing in ancient Rome. Cosmic oh, horror role playing in ancient Rome. So everybody's got to so look forward to that. It's on the, uh, so if you hit the uh, the website there and, and check the calendar, you can mark everything down. Uh, Neil's running the uh, Two Black Eyes podcast, Improv Comedy, so definitely check that out. Uh, Jesse's in a little bit of a... Soon, right? If anyone's in Raleigh-Durham, we will be performing live at the Improv for Humans contest at DSI Comedy Theater, February 3rd. It's only $6, and you get to see six improv teams. We're worth $1 entertainment, probably. (laughs) But yeah, February 3rd, DSI Comedy, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Check us out. Nice. Mm -hmm. Make sure you order your coffee. Uh, You get that at, uh, what's the website there, address? Birdscoffeecompany.com. Ruffle your just got a while we were on this thing, so yay, yay! Don't forget, our game. Don't forget our game this Saturday, you fuck. Yep, we got a game this Saturday coming up that uh, Vince is going to be running. I think it's a uh, session four of our D and D campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse's on a bit of a hiatus with the Dragon Fisters, but hopefully we'll see some new episodes cranking out from them soon. But until then, you can catch Jesse Jesse in our Rogue Trader game, and that'll be coming up on Monday, run by Neil who's like three quarters of the podcast now. I can't stop stop doing this podcast, guys. (laughs) I do this podcast more than my own podcast. (laughs) And we appreciate it. I'm doing this like three or four. (laughs) 
It's fine. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. No, I'm going to have a lot of fun with the Rogue Trader game. So you guys definitely want to tune in for that. It's going to be a fun time. It's a good group. So it'll be a, it'll be really good story development there. Mm-hmm. It's our RP heavy group. So yeah, it'll be fun. Yep. All right. Well, thank you gentlemen for coming on. Um, you can check out this awesome content and all of our other cool stuff at legendsoftabletop.com. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you could reach out to us at legendsoftabletop at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, all those different places. So go ahead and check us out. Just type legends of tabletop into your Google machine and we will catch you next time. Thanks everybody. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com. Fuck books. Sit the fuck down and shut up.